0: I love church kids. Don't you love church kids? You are being the Pied Piper, and I love how they're running back and forth. And you know, that's what church should be about. Kids just have that fun and freedom and feel that safe. So it's fun. I like it. It's good. This morning, we are going to look at a book of the Bible that never once mentions the name of God, totally devoid of God's name, completely, totally void. Void. We're going to look at the book of Esther. And though God's name is not invoked at all in this book, all the way through the story of Esther, we are going to see God's hand, his sovereignty, his protection with God's chosen people, the Hebrews. Now we're, uh, we're going to be looking just at one small part of this book. We're going to be looking at chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. If you look at your pew Bibles, it starts it's on page 781, and it's also going to be on the screen. So I do encourage you to follow along silently as I read aloud. Listen to the words of the author of Esther and hear God's message of his providence in our lives, as he was with the Hebrews, even when he doesn't seem there. On the third day Esther put on her royal robe, robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. The king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half of the kingdom, it will be given to you. Please join with me in prayer. Our Lord God, we ask that your spirit will guide and lead as we look to this book. Lord, we pray that as the Hebrews were led by you in a time that they just didn't quite see you, Lord, help us in our challenging times to know that you are leading us as well. And we'll say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to be taking a look at the book of Esther from a a slightly different perspective. We're going to be looking at this book from the perspective of someone who was there. My name, my name is Harbona. My job, my title, well, that depends on what country you're from. In England, you might be called a private valet. Here in your country, probably not too many of us, but maybe a a personal secretary. But in my country, in my country, I am Harbona. Chamberlain to Xerxes, king of Persia. Now, I have to tell you, I didn't apply for this job. This is not a job that I wanted, not a job I wanted to have anything to do with, because Xerxes, Xerxes is a challenging individual, to say the least, difficult. But if Xerxes asks you to do something, you really have no choice, because if you say no, you probably will lose your life. Now, I want to share with you one incident had happened just before I came on staff. Vashta was queen. She was beautiful, and Xerxes loved Vashta. And Xerxes, Xerxes held a party. Now, this was a, a party for men only. I think you call it a stag party. Now, this wasn't just a one-night party. This wasn't a one-week party. This party went on for months. People would come and celebrate, and they'd go back home and then come back to celebrate. And it was the very last night of this stag party. And Xerxes asked another one of the Chamberlains to go to Queen Vashti, to tell the queen that she needed to put on her finest of dresses, and that she needed to have her best of jewelry on, and she was to present herself before the king's party. The queen refused. She didn't want to come out there and make a a spectacle of herself to be presented as a, a trophy. And she said no. Now, I am so glad I wasn't on staff yet because I might have been that chamberlain. And that chamberlain went to Xerxes, told Xerxes that Queen Vascia said no. Xerxes went livid. Just livid. Nobody says no to the king. And his own queen did. He called together some of his trusted advisors and they began talking about the situation and the advisors, they began talking among themselves. And they're saying, gosh, if the queen does that to the king, how are our wives going to respond to us? When we ask them to do something. We're going to lose control of our households. This just isn't acceptable. And so the decision was made that the queen would be sent out to the furthest point in the kingdom. Their title would be taken away from her. I think you call that divorce. Now, that's what the king did to someone he loved, Think about what he'd do to a lowly chamberlain like me. But I had no choice. I had to take the position. But I made a decision when I went into that position that I was not going to rock the boat. I was going to cause no waves at all. I was going to do everything I could to simply get along. I was going to be quiet. Well, the palace, when I first started working right after Vashta was exiled, it was not a good place to work. The king was down in the dumps, and when the king was down in the dumps, everyone was down in the dumps in the palace. And when the king was upset, all of his trusted advisors avoided him like the plague. They wanted nothing to do with him because he would just go off on him. And this went on for a number of weeks, and nobody was coming up with a solution. Despite my thought of going with the flow and not rocking the boat... I approached the king and I was recognized that was a good thing. And I said, King Xerxes, what? What if you send some of your messengers out to all of your kingdom and invite beautiful young women to come to the palace and spend some time here? And, and King Xerxes, maybe, just maybe, you might find a new queen. The king said, do it. Well, I guess it was a good idea because within just a couple weeks, oh, there were so many beautiful young women in the palace. And the king began to spend some time with him. But over time, he was spending all of his time with just one woman. Her name was Esther. She was beautiful. But there was something about her. She, She just didn't look Persian. But that didn't matter. The king was happy. And a happy king means a happy harbona. And in time, she was made queen. Queen Esther. And for a couple of years, oh, the palace was a great place to work. There was peace in the kingdom. The treasury was growing. It was a wonderful place to work until, until one day, the king was holding court. And Haman came in. Now, Haman is the king's number one man. The king looks to him for all kinds of advice. But Haman, Haman is one of these people, oh, never trusted Haman. Haman clawed his way to the top. I don't know how many people he trampled in order to get to that number one position, but he did whatever was necessary. It didn't matter whether it was right, he did it, because he wanted to be that right-hand man to the king. That's Haman. Didn't trust him. The king did. Haman came in, was recognized by the king, and Haman said there was a group of people in the kingdom that were failing to follow the king's rules, and that this group of people needed to be eliminated And the king thought, what what group of people? And and Haman said, it's absolutely essential. They need to be eliminated. And and the king said, well, Haman, if you think that's what needs to be done, then you go take care of it and use money from the treasury to pay for it. Now, I, I saw the decree. It said, destroy, kill, and annihilate every Jew, man, woman, and child, on December 13th, destroy, kill, and annihilate every Jew. I couldn't understand this. Fortunately, I have a friend in Haman's household. He teaches Haman's children. I made it a point to see him later that day. I still can't believe this, but this is what happened. We have a citizens' council in Persia. Representatives from the various ethnic and and, uh, racial groups come together, and they make decisions on pretty minor items that are too insignificant for the king to decide. And part of the, the rules of the council is, Haman is chairing the council and whenever Haman would come in to the council, everyone would rise from their spot and bow deeply before Haman. Haman loved it. He had quite an ego. Well, everybody came up and bowed before Haman except just one person. The Jewish representative refused to bow before Haman. And it was because one person refused to bow, all Jews destroyed Killed and annihilated on December 13th. I couldn't believe that. Simply couldn't believe that that could happen. Because one person upset Haman. And Haman wanted to kill every single man, woman, and Jewish child. The next day I was by the main entrance to the palace. And and outside was a man. It looked like he'd rolled in the dirt. And he was moaning and groaning. One of Esther's servants came by. She had an arm load of clean clothes. And I said, what are you doing? And the servant said, well, Esther wants to give these clothes to the man out there. And I thought, that's just like Esther, trying to help the least of these. Well, a few moments later, he comes back. He still has the clothes. I said, what? He didn't like the style? And the servant said, no, he didn't want the clothes. He wants me to take this, this decree and to give it to Esther and have Esther talk to Xerxes about the decree. It wasn't sealed. I had to look, destroy, kill, and annihilate every Jew on December 13th. I, I couldn't quite figure out the connection. And the servant said, what should I do? And I said, well, you've got to tell the queen, but the king's in one of those moods. It's probably not the best time to appear before him, but she needs to do what she's going to do. And the, the servant left. Later that afternoon, the same servant came to me. It was like a, a cat that had a mouse, and he just just bursting to tell me something. And I said, what is it? He said, do you remember that man out there? Yeah, I remember the man out there. Well, he's the, the Jewish representative of the council. And I thought, oh, no wonder he was upset. He's under a death sentence. And then the servant said, and do you know what else? No, what else? The Jewish representative is Queen Esther's uncle. I thought to myself, no wonder she didn't look Persian, but it also meant that she was under a death sentence like the rest of the Jews. I asked the servant, what what was Queen Esther going to do? And he said, well, she's going to fast for a few days, and then she's going to appear before the king. Now, she had not been invited to see the king for a few days. Um, If she were to appear and not be recognized, she might lose her life, but it sounds like she was willing to take that risk. A few days later, I'm... I'm in the palace and the the king is holding court and from the side entrance comes Esther and she is more beautiful than the first time the king had seen her. And the king looks at her and extends his scepter, which means please come forward. And Queen Esther comes forward and bows before the king and the king looks at her and said, Esther, what is it? What do you want? Whatever it is, up to even half of my kingdom, it's yours. Just tell me. And I'm thinking to myself, what a ripe opportunity to tell the king about the decree, destroy, kill, and annihilate all of your people, including you. And she doesn't. You know what she asks? She asks the king and Haman to join her for lunch later that day. Here, she's under a death sentence with all of her people, and she wants to hold a tea party. It made no sense to me. None at all. Later that day, One of my assignments was to be with the king during this luncheon that the queen was hosting for the king and Haman, and the queen was the perfect hostess, did everything that a a hostess should do. It was wonderful, and at the end of their time together, the king again said, Esther, what is it? Something's bothering you. What what do you want? I'll give you up to half of the kingdom. Just just tell me. And I'm going, this is the second time. She's going to talk about the decree. She doesn't. She wants Haman and the king to join her for lunch the next day. Two tea parties. I couldn't figure it out until later that night. Two things happened. Two things that that at the time didn't make much sense, but combined they did. The first one is Haman. Haman left that first luncheon flying higher than a kite. He was so excited that he, get to have, he got to have lunch with the king and queen, and he gets to go back the next day and have lunch again. He decided to throw a huge party for all of his friends at his home. And he was on his way home, so excited, and then he got a moth in his Persian rug. He came upon, he came upon the Jewish representative, Mordecai. And Mordecai refused to bow before Haman, and this infuriated Haman yet again. And he goes to his own party infuriated. He begins talking to his guests about how upset he is. And his guests are saying, look, you got more power than the king almost. Why don't you go in tomorrow morning, and tell the king that Mordecai needs to be hung immediately, not waiting until December 13th, and the king will say yes. And they were so sure the king would say yes, they erected a huge gallows in Haman's backyard from which to hang Mordecai. That's one thing that happened. Second thing, I was part of this, and, and I, I was... Really surprised when I saw these things all working together. Um, As chamberlains, we take turns sleeping in a room next to the king, just in case he has business to conduct in the middle of the night. Never happens. The king usually sleeps like a baby. So it's a good assignment for us. We get to sleep in a better room that's got a little more heat than our normal rooms, and and we get a good night's rest, but not this night. I am almost asleep. And I hear, Harbona! And it's the king calling, and I, I jump out of bed, and yes, what do you need? I can't sleep. What would you like me to do? Read to me. Read to you. What would you like me to read to you, sir? Well, how about my memoirs? And so, okay. So I get some of his memoirs and I begin reading and I'm reading and I'm starting to fall asleep, but the king's really excited. And then all of a sudden I come to a paragraph I begin reading this paragraph, and I got excited too. It seemed that a few months earlier, there was a plot to kill the king. The Jewish representative, Mordecai, the queen's uncle, heard about the plot, told Queen Esther. Queen Esther told the king, and the plot was foiled. The king's life was saved. And the king said, what did we do to to thank that Jewish representative, Mordecai? Mordecai. And I read down a little further, and we had done nothing, nothing. The king said, we have to recognize that person. He means a lot to me and a lot to our kingdom. He saved my life. So tomorrow morning when we're in court, you remind me, and we'll recognize Mordecai. Well, the king was ready to go to sleep. Me, my head was spinning. I couldn't sleep the rest of the night. Because on the one hand, Haman over here wants to hang Mordecai. And on the other hand, the king wants to honor him. It was going to be an exciting morning in the palace. Well, the very next morning, the king is holding court. I'm there, and no one has to remind him. He asks, uh, are there any of my officials in the court? And Haman is just starting to come in, and he's flying higher than Kai, kite. He's going to demand that Mordecai be hung But before Haman says a word, the king says, Haman, I have a question. I have somebody in my kingdom that I want to honor, somebody who's done a great, great deal for me, very important in my kingdom, and I need some suggestions to how I can honor this person. I looked over at Haman, and he had this little smile, and and part of me was thinking that he thought he was the one to be honored. Well, Haman said to the king, well, here's what I suggest you do. Get one of your royal stallions. Put one of your royal saddles on the stallion and place this person on the stallion. Place one of your royal robes over the person and put one of your crowns on his head and have one of your leading officials take him throughout the city saying, this is the man the king wishes to honor. This is the man the king wishes to honor. King thought for just a minute and said, Haman, I think that's an excellent idea. I want you to do that. And I want you to get all that together, and I want you to do that for the Jewish representative, Mordicke. (laughs) Haman looked so dejected. And as he was leaving, he was lower than a snake. The king goes and, and yell loudly, Haman. Interesting morning. Well, fortunately for me, my next assignment would be that second luncheon. And I went to that second luncheon. And the queen, just like the first luncheon, was the perfect hostess. Everything went exceptionally well. And at the end, the king, like he had done two other times, says, Esther, what's wrong? What is it? What is troubling you so much? Just tell me, and I'll give you up to half of the kingdom. Just what can I do? And, and the queen looked at the king and said, me and my people are about to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. Save our lives. And the king went, who would ever want to hurt you? And the queen looked up and said, Haman. And the the king was going, Haman, Haman, why would Haman? And he goes, oh, the decree. And then he remembered the decree. And he was so upset, he stormed out of that room. And Haman then realized that the queen was Jewish, and she was under that same death threat. And she He began to apologize, and she just turned away. And he reached up and and grabbed at her just to get her attention. But at that moment, the king walked in the room. He got the wrong idea. And he said, cover his face. Cover his face. That was his death sentence. Now, my role was to go with the flow, not wake waves. But I thought I could make a suggestion. King, what? What? Haman built a gallows from which he was planning on hanging Mordecai. <laughs> Hang Haman from those gallows. Now, there's a little twist in the Persian law. Once a decree has been signed, it can't simply be revoked. And so another decree was written that basically said that the Jews can defend themselves against anybody who attacked them on December 13th and that the government troops would stand by and watch. The Jews were saved. Decree was neutralized. Later that night, I was standing uh, on an upper balcony and it was just sunset and the Jews are dancing in the streets. Their lives have been saved and I kind of envision Haman off in the distance on those gallows. and, And I was thinking to myself, all these things working together for this almost insignificant group of people called the Hebrews, the Jews. How... Vashta refused to follow a king's order and she was exiled. How of all those beautiful women, Esther became queen. How Mordecai overheard a plot and he saved the, the king's life. How, as a king has insomnia, I read a part about how no one recognized Mordecai for what he did for the king and how all of these things worked together for the good of this small group called the Jews. I thought to myself... Boy, those Jews sure are lucky. Well, for us today, 2018, we know it's not luck. And we know that even in this book of Esther that never once references God, we can see God's hand all the way through this story of the Jews and Esther and the challenges of that time. And there may be times in your life and my life that we're wondering, God, where are you? I don't see you right now. And this story of Esther is this wonderful reminder that God will never leave us, never forsake us, that he will be with us at all times, even when we're not sure. So whenever we have those challenges, whenever we're going, God, where are you? Remember Esther. Remember that God was with the Jewish people during that time, and he'll be with you and with me. Amen.